Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for gathering us here today. I pray today we would consider our own lives. We would trust in you and allow you to have authority over every area of our life. Help us to leave here changed, transformed, so we can share your message with the whole world. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Good morning. For those of you who didn't know, Greg is out of town and I've been in charge. And fortunately, last week was not too bad. Uh, nothing crazy happened. But uh, anyway, it's good to be here with you this morning. I have a question for you this morning. Are you a rule person? Now, what I mean by that is, um, do you like rules and structure in your life? Most of us, we are, if we are honest, we appreciate some rules in our lives, like, you know, basic traffic laws, uh, basic laws of protection. But many of us, if you're like me, don't, be, don't like being constrained by too many rules. An overabundance of rules, especially by an authority we may not trust, seems stifling. And as a teenager especially, I struggle with this because I'm definitely not a rule person. And I remember the, the lyrics from uh, the singer John Cougar Mellencamp at the time. John Mellencamp had said, I fight authority, and authority always wins. Well, that was my life in high school, because nine times out of ten, whatever I decided to get away with when it came to fighting authority, I always lost, and usually in pretty embarrassing ways. I'll give you a few examples. Um, we had a rule in our high school that you were not allowed to leave for lunch. They, like, put, like, the, the gate up, and, you know, we, as a senior, I got to park on campus, and I had a great parking spot. But I said, you know what, I want to go to McDonald's for lunch, because at that time, McDonald's was, like, the great place to go to, you know. And so, loaded up my friends in the car, and I drove right over the curb, because I had uh, some Toyota Land Cruiser, one of the old ones, and... And then I got back, I parked in the space, and I didn't get caught, because we had this assistant principal that used to have binoculars and be up on the roof, and we didn't see him anywhere, and I was like, this is great, I got caught, we got to go to McDonald's, it's maybe better than our school food, I don't know at the time. Well, sure enough, I got called to the principal's office, and the vice principal had spotted me, and my consequence was I could not park on campus the rest of the year, so I had to walk a long way to get to the school but there was a lot of benefits to it, too. I could just go right under the gate and walk to my car and go to McDonald's. But uh, needless to say, it didn't work out quite as I planned. Um, we had this other tradition at our school, and it was called senior pranks, where you did something kind of crazy. And someone came up with the bright idea that they had an old Volkswagen laying in their, yard, in their yard and that we would get the Volkswagen in the middle of the night, dr- uh, dig with our own hands and shovels a huge hole and put the Volkswagen vertically right in front of the school. And then bury it. So when it came the next day, there would be this Volkswagen just kind of sitting there saying hi to the school. Well, we snuck out of our homes, a bunch of us, got our shovels and our pitchforks, you know, and got in our, our family's, uh, you know, station wagons and rolled out of the driveways. And we all met up at the school and we dug for what seemed like hours. We had this huge hole. Here comes the, uh, the Volkswagen being towed by my friend's car. And behind the Volkswagen, there's two cops that turn their lights on. We were scurrying through the parking lot like roaches with these, with our shovels running at full speed. Fortunately, I did not get caught, however, by my parents, but we did get caught by the principal once again, and we spent uh, the next few days 
putting dirt back in that hole. And all the underclassmen goes, that was the dumbest prank ever. A hole in front of the school, really? Tried to explain about the car. It didn't work out. But like I say, nine times out of ten, things did not work out. And I want to bring up one more story because this kind of illustrates that if I would have just trusted an authority, my life would have been a lot better. We had a senior trip, and uh, we had just watched the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, a few friends of mine, and we decided that when we got off the bus, we were going to create our own fun and just explore the city and not do what the government teacher, he wanted us to go see Congress, the White House. We're like, oh, that's boring. You know, we lived right outside of D.C., and we had seen those places before, sort of, but... So everybody in the bus goes one way. Me and three of my friends go the other way. We're going to go in the city and have a great time. There was a problem. We didn't know our way around the city. We had no idea where to go. And we ended up like going to some like overpriced tourist restaurant. And then we kind of wandered around, didn't really do anything. And then the rest of our friends came back to the bus and we met them there. No one even missed us. And uh, they had a much better time than we did. Kind of learned that if I just would have trusted authority, life would have been a little bit better for me. We brought a youth trip uh, years ago when I first came here to uh, Big Stuff in Florida, and we had a, a day, uh, we had several days, so we stayed a- away from where Big Stuff was um, in this house, and it was right by the beach. It was a beautiful place, and the kids were wanting to, like, sit in and just watch TV all day, and there was a TV in there. And at first we were kind of doing, like, hey, what do you want to do? Do you want to watch TV or do you want to go to the beach? And they were like, well, we don't want to go to the beach. And Finally, with encouragement of my wife and other leaders, like, there is no choice. You guys are going to the beach. Now get your stuff and get out there. The interesting thing is when we brought them to the beach that day, they didn't want to leave. They were having such a good time. You see, oftentimes we don't trust an authority that kind of knows better, that has a better plan for our life. And I think when it comes to matters of faith, um, and especially the Christian faith, many of us have trouble trusting our lives completely to God under his authority. Maybe we see it as a a lot of rules that are really hard oftentimes to uphold all the time. We feel like we're always messing up. And thus, many of us view God with these different images that aren't always helpful. I know sometimes I've seen God as this kind of cosmic killjoy up in the sky that's trying to ruin my fun and make me live, you know, this kind of boring life. Or maybe we see God as kind of an old man who's sort of out of touch or maybe just doesn't care and he's up in the sky and he just seems distant. In other words, we're on our own. Or maybe we see God as the judge with that big gavel just looking at us and saying guilty, guilty. Or maybe on a more intimate level, we see God as the disappointed father who looks at our lives and shakes his head saying, I had such better plans for you and look at your life. And maybe we see even Christianity or following Christ as a country club that we don't quite fit into and we don't quite belong. Well, I believe that none of these images are correct and that following God and living under his authority is something much different and something much better, something much more fulfilling. And as we unpack the scriptures for today, I believe we're going to find this to be true. I believe that we're going to find that when we submit ourselves to God's authority, he brings us salvation. He expands our life rather than making it smaller. He provides and gives us a purpose and a mission. He gives us direct direction, and ultimately, it's under security, the security of eternal life.
In our scripture today in Hebrews, I want to begin there. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, the writer of Hebrews uh, says this. Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus has authority over our salvation. Who is Jesus? Colossians 1.15 says Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. In John's gospel, it says the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. It's more of a paraphrased version that God became one of us and his mission was to save us and to bring us salvation. Hebrews chapter five, nine says that Jesus is the author of salvation. That he wrote the manual for eternal life, for salvation. It's funny because author and authority come from that same root word. He's the authority, but he's also the author. The end of Colossians 1.15, it says, or in Colossians 1, it says this, It was in him that the full nature of God chose to live. And through him, this is Christ, that God planned to reconcile his own person, as it were, everything on earth and everything in heaven by virtue of the sacrifice of the cross. Jesus did the work. He has the authority for our salvation. He's the author of our salvation. But it demands a decision. For many of us, we kind of know it in our head, but it's never really gone down to our heart. See, the uh, Pharisees were often guilty of this. They knew all the rules, but they didn't have the relationship. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. At least a hardness of heart. It demands a decision. In Hebrews 12, verse 25, in our reading today, it says, See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? It's a serious decision to give your life to Christ. Later on in Luke's gospel, uh, from the gospel reading Kathy read after Jesus healed this woman, someone asked, Lord, will only a few be saved? Never answers directly, but says it's a narrow gate. It's a narrow door. See, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other option, not for us or for anybody else. It's a narrow door. But this narrow door, if we'll open it up, it's an expansive life. It expands and involves everyone. See, when you're under the authority of Christ, you realize that his kingdom not only uh, is large, but it values other people. When we make a decision for Christ, we're adopted into a family. And when you're adopted into a family or you're part of a family, you start learning your family values. And from Jesus' gospel today, we see his values. There was a woman on the Sabbath for 18 years. She had been uh, oppressed. She couldn't stand up straight. And it was on the Sabbath, and she, Jesus healed this woman because he valued people. The Pharisees got upset. They're like, you're not obeying the rules. The rule says don't heal on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. I don't know what the Sabbath was, but don't do that either. But don't, uh, don't heal on the Sabbath. And uh, Jesus, you know... He confronts their hypocrisy. He says, look, for your farm animals, you walk them to give them water. There's another passage. Jesus said, if you're one of your donkey or your ox falls in a ditch, you're going to lift it up on the Sabbath. You're not going to lead it there to uh, leave it there to perish. How much more valuable are people? 
In Jesus' kingdom, people are valued. Pharisees were constantly missing the point. They had the rules, but they had no relationship. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion. But this kingdom, this family that Jesus invites us in, this authority that he asks us to uh, submit ourselves to, it involves everyone. After the, the passage of the woman, Jesus gives two metaphors for help us to think about what his kingdom, about what his family is like. He uses the, uh, the analogy of the mustard seed and yeast. The mustard seed is this tiny seed, but this huge plant grows out of it, and birds find shelter. They're able to build their nest there and protection. Jesus' kingdom provides pr- protection. It helps people. This is why we send missionaries around the world. This is why helping the poor, helping those in prisons, helping our neighbor, helps them to see this unbelievable kingdom, the values that are in this kingdom. It helps them to consider making a commitment to Christ, to enter through that narrow gate, because they realize that when you're under Jesus' authority, that there's more life, there's full life, expansive life. The other analogy of the yeast What does bread do? It feeds people. This little ingredient that expands and makes bread. When we join God's kingdom, not only involves other people, it cares for other people. And is the question, is Jesus' kingdom only for a select few, the country club kind of mentality? When you look throughout scripture, this is just not the case. Jesus, who is the invisible expression of the visible, or is the visible expression of the invisible God, says this, for I did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. He says, and uh, the Apostle Paul, who came to love Jesus, writes this. It was in him that the full nature, sorry, I had my place mixed up here. He, he writes this. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. He wants all people to be saved, all people to enter through this narrow gate. In Second Peter, uh, Paul writes, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish but all to come to repentance. We are all part of this mission to bring others to salvation through Christ. And we're not inviting them into a, uh, this cosmic killjoy kind of thing. We're trying to ruin people's fun. We're bringing them into the kingdom where Jesus said, I have come that they, that you and I, our neighbors and everyone in the world might have life and have it to the full. It's a narrow gate, but it's a big stadium. So now that we know Jesus values, that he values people, that the salvation is for everyone, we have a job to do as members of his family. It's putting these values into practice. When you're under Christ's authority, your future is secure. And when you understand the security, you know how to live in the present by putting Christ's values into practice. In the end of our reading from Hebrews, uh, the writer uh, states these words, Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. We get invited into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. 
We're adopted in a family where we don't get kicked out when we trust in Christ. So what is our response to that? Because that sounds all good. But I don't know about you, but when I've been under the authority of someone I really respect, it changes the way I live my life. The family, I I was blessed to be a part of a great family. And even though I tried to rebel and, and do different things, I had this great reverence and respect for not only God, but my parents, because they love God, and I saw that they were doing their best. But our response to what God has done, to this kingdom that cannot be shaken, I think it begins with a life of gratitude. Remember earlier when I was reading the the passage that Jesus was the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel? In the story in Genesis, Cain is jealous of Abel and he kills him. Abel did nothing. Cain's life after that was not good. He got kicked out of the family. He got kicked out of the land. He became a nomad. Where we have Jesus, like Abel, who was not guilty, but chose to die for our sins. And through his sacrifice on the cross, unlike Abel, we have a home. When we make a decision for Christ, we have forgiveness, we have grace, and we have direction on how to live our life on this side of heaven. We know where we are going. So our response is gratitude and thanking God for bringing us into that kind of home. The second is we are, in a, we are invited into a community. We often use the phrase, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and that's fine But when it's separated from community, from other believers, it doesn't last. Our person always finds its person in community. Hebrews, uh, I've been quoting from Hebrews a lot because it's a great book that illustrates on who Christ is. It says this, on Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. Following Christ is not a hobby or a part-time deal or something we feel like doing once in a while. It's submitting your whole life under Christ's authority. It was interesting. When Muhammad was starting up Islam, he had had the, the Muslims pray four times a day. And the reason he had them pray four times a day is the Christians that was surrounding him at that time prayed five times a day. And he didn't feel it necessary to do the fifth shift at midnight. So in other words, the Christians in that area at that time, they were so dedicated and disciplined that they prayed all the time. I'm not saying that we need to just drop at world market all of a sudden, get on our knees and start praying. But I do think we can learn something from the early believers who considered it vital, not only the practice of being among other believers in church, but studying God's word together, living out the faith in their daily life, praying as much as possible and thanking God with gratitude for what he has done for them. I think another helpful way of, uh, of understanding our, our response and how to live this out is our life is one of preparation. You know, if somebody's a dentist or a doctor or a psychiatrist, they have a practice. Now, that sounds kind of weird. Why are you practicing? You know, as a comedian once said, shouldn't you uh, be playing the game? But a practice is everything you've learned. You're living it out on a daily basis. So as Christians, we need to practice with awe and reverence, holding up these kingdom values of valuing other people, of caring for others, 
of continuing the disciplines of not only coming to church, but praying together, spending time in God's word every week. A life of preparation and practice. Recently, my friend of mine, Scott Woods, is in town from North Carolina, and before he came, we were cleaning our house madly the night before because we wanted him to feel comfortable and not trip over kids' toys. And we wanted uh, to have food in the refrigerator so we'd have something to cook. Well, I think our lives as Christians on this side of heaven is always one of preparation. We're preparing for the next life to meet Christ by the way we live our daily life in the here and now. It's a continual preparation and practice of worship and a life of gratitude. So the question for you today is whose authority are you under? Are you calling the shots and making up the rules as you go? Are you following others that seem to be leading you astray? Are you under God's authority, the author of your life? Are you a part of his kingdom and his rule? See, I learned on my class trip and on the youth trip where I was a leader that oftentimes authority and a good authority knows what's best. And can you imagine the ultimate authority who wrote down every day of your life? We would be crazy not to look to him on how to live our lives and how to navigate from day to day. There's two great verses in Proverbs that I think help to clarify what I'm saying. And these are from the message version, so it's a little more in the common uh, language of the people. It says, the fear of God expands your life. A wicked life is a puny life. An undisciplined, self-willed life is puny. An obedient, God-willed life is spacious. Years ago, I was reading a book, and they did this study with little kids at a preschool. I know we have the preschool out here, and this may sound kind of cruel at first, but they were always protecting the kids, so don't worry. But they decided to remove the fence from the playground and and observe how the kids would behave. When there was no fence, the kids tended to huddle together, and they seemed more insecure. But when they put the fence back, the kids wandered to the lengths of the fence, they were looking out of it, and they seemed much more at ease. I believe that fence when I think about our lives as Christians, is being under God's authority. He wants us to have a spacious life. He doesn't want us to live lives of fear. We're huddled together and don't know where to go, and we're lost. Submitting to God's authority brings you salvation. It expands your life. It gives you a mission, a direction, and a purpose. It helps you to value other people here in the present, and it gives us security for the future. We as a church have a great responsibility to collectively put ourselves under God's authority. When we do this collectively, it helps us individually to live this out as we leave here. There's a church in Bluffton, Live Oak Community Church, and my wife and I uh, used to attend there when we uh, first got married before I took the job here. And they have a great mission statement, and it's very simple. It's nothing they created, just something right out of the Bible. They said, we're about loving God, loving people, and bringing them together. And I think this cuts the essence of what we're about as Christians as we meet collectively. Putting ourselves under God's authority, loving God, honoring him, caring about other people, and bringing people to salvation. We won't be shaken when we put our faith under Christ and put ourselves under his authority. Let us pray. Lord, so often we try to do things on our own. And you're the last person we look for when it comes for direction in our lives. Help us today 
both personally and collectively, to submit ourselves to your authority. Help us to value other people like you do. Help us not only to value people, but to find practical ways to care for these people, to live lives of gratitude, of awe and worship as we meet together regularly. In Jesus' name, amen.